you've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. Hey ladies, hey gents, I'm Aaron Fryfield and welcome to a special episode of Chat With Traders podcast. This episode was recorded in June 2018 in front of a live audience in Sydney and it's a conversation I had with John Moulton, though most will know him better as Rambo, particularly those who used to trade with him in the pit. John's a serious trader and for good reason, he's considered to be somewhat of a legend trader here in Australia. In short, John left the Chicago trading pits in the 80s, bound for the Sydney Futures Exchange. And in the years that followed, he became a very large spread trader of government bonds and bank bills. He was responsible for a major share of the trading volume done each day. Now 40 years on since placing his first trade, John is still an active market participant trading from a coastal location in Queensland, Australia. There's only been one other time in John's career when he's done any sort of media and that was roughly 20 years ago when he featured in a documentary about the Sydney Futures Exchange. So it's very cool and a true honour that he was willing to take part in this and openly share his market wisdom. Also, if you'd prefer to watch this episode rather than listen to it as a podcast, you can find a video on the Chat With Traders YouTube channel. By the way, I will say sorry my audio is not crystal clear in this episode. Like I mentioned, it was recorded live, but John's audio is pretty good and that's what really matters. On that note, I present to you John Moulton, aka Rambo. This might be somewhat of an unconventional interview. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to go. I know John has some of his own ideas, um, but I'm probably just going to start by asking a couple of questions. We'll see how it goes. Um, we'll keep it casual. We'll have a bit of fun. Um, he may ask the audience for a few questions. Um, so, you know, be alert. He might fire something your way. Um, but yeah, I mean, John, tell us a little bit about how you actually got started in trading. I know we're going back to the 80s. We won't spend too much time on this, but just a bit of context for everyone in the room. Um, we're actually going back to the 70s. Okay. <laughs> we keep going back further. Um, well, yeah, fill us in. Bring us up to speed. Like, where did you 
get your start. We, we trading in Chicago? All right, we're gonna keep this brief because I don't wanna talk about myself too much. I'd rather talk about what's happening right now with these people here. So I'm happy to do this for a couple of minutes and that's it. I started trading at the Mid-America Exchange in January, 1978. The Mid-America Exchange is an exchange in Chicago that wasn't one of the primary exchanges. The primary exchanges were the Chicago Mercantile and the Chicago Board of Trade. Chicago, uh, the Mid-America Exchange traded in smaller increments, so it was a much uh, cheaper way to get involved with trading. Uh, for example, I wanted to trade soybeans. At the Board of Trade, soybeans are traded 5,000 lot increments, 5,000, 10,000, 25,000, 635 lots, everything's increment of 5,000. At the Mid-America Exchange, everything was 1,000. So you trade a one lot, a two lot, an eight lot, a 12 lot. The prices came across on a price jet. These prices were being set from across the street from the Board of Trade on a price jet in a random sequence. And we bid and offered basis the prices we saw coming across on a price jet. Really crazy shit. Hard to believe nowadays, isn't it? Anyway, that's where I started, trading ones and two lots in these little contracts at a mid-America exchange where the seats cost $12,000. My mother gave me the money and I put $2,000 in a trading account. There you go, that's how I started. $2,000, so, I mean, I know you don't wanna to spend too much time on this, but it's uh, incredibly impressive that you were able to, uh, you know, at a later stage, like I'm sure if there was a few years between that point and when you became a very large portion of the volume that was done on the Sydney Futures Exchange, like how did you work yourself up to that point? Uh, well, for, we're talking about floor trading, right? Correct, okay. yeah. Floor trading. Um, I was tailor made to be a floor trader from this big. At university, I scalped tickets to all the football games, basketball games, hockey games at the University of Wisconsin. I, I was a ticket scalper. I played poker till four o'clock in the morning. I love taking risk. And when I first saw the futures floor, I knew that was my destiny. It's as simple as that. <laughs> then how did you scale up? Well, <clears throat> big balls. <laughs> I, I, I was always an over trader. I should have been trading five lots, I traded 20 lots. I should be trading 20 lots, I traded 50 lots. I should be trading 50 lots, I traded 200 lots. No fear. And did that ever hurt you at any point? So I imagine you kind oh, of yeah, suck yeah. Oh yeah, 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 I went broke a few times. Sure. <laughs> you went broke. Hey, yeah. You lost all your money. Yeah, yeah. How many times did that happen? Twice. Can you walk us through what maybe led you to blow up? Like I know you said you were trading too big a size. Yeah, well, it, it catches up to you. I mean, <clears throat> when you first start learning how to trade, isn't all you guys are traders here? Anybody here not a trader? No, nobody, that's good. Um, I'm in a room of traders. Everyone here knows this. You start out small and you work your way up, right? That's what you do. You start really small and you work your way up. It's like climbing a ladder, two steps up, one step down. You're used to trading a five lot, say, say for example. You're used to trading a five lot. Is the first time you try to trade a 10 lot, you're gonna lose every time, okay? Then, you, so you say, okay, but I know how to trade a five lot. So you go back to trading a five lot. Then a month or two later, you say, I'm gonna have a go at that 10 lot now. And this time it works. And then you go, okay, I can trade a 10 lot now. Now I'll try a 20 lot. First time you try a 20 lot, you lose. <laughs> and so on and so on and so on. So, you know, you gotta learn how to lose. I'm sure everyone in this room knows how to lose, right? It's very important. I want to talk about this later. Losing is extremely important. Winning's easy. Losing is the key to trading. Your turn. <laughs> <laughs> when you went broke those couple times, were you ever did you ever doubt yourself that you could make it as a trader? Like were you 
contemplating whether you should maybe look for a different career? Never. You're in your 20s and, and I just had a lot of self-belief. A lot of self-belief. It's a real, it's actually interesting looking back on it because it's a real balancing act between believing in yourself and, and having a bit of an ego, but not being too big of an ego where you are your own worst enemy or you get greedy and shit like that. You just have to, you have to really know yourself. And the sooner you can get a real handle on who and what you are, you play to your strengths and you work your weaknesses out of you. Okay, so after those couple times you went broke, was there a point where things began to click for you? Where you felt as though, okay, I'm not going broke again. I'm like, what changed? What changed to stop you from going broke? Oh, well, again? I'll, I'll give you an example of one of the times I went broke. Okay. I bought a board of trade seat in January 1980. I was sponsored, it was a co signed loan with a gentleman by the name of Bob Collins through the Continental Bank in Chicago, the now defunct Continental Bank in Chicago. And at that time, I had about $25,000, a seat to board a trade. You couldn't rent seats in those days. The only way to gain access to the floor was to buy a seat. The seat at that time was about $212,000, a lot of money in 1980. I had a bid in for the seat of the third week of January of 1980. And that weekend, Bill Clinton put a grain embargo on with Russia. No trading, any of the grains, Monday, Tuesday at the Chicago Board of Trade. I went, shit. These seats are going to head south. I went in, tried to cancel my bid for the seat. I, you know, as soon as the doors opened, the board of trade, I'm in there, cancel bid, cancel my bid. My bid had already been hit, 212000 By the end of that day, seats are trading for 185000 right? Over the next six months, seats went down to 135000 Now, I'm in at the price up here. Most of the money's borrowed. And then, to add injury, <laughs> to add insult to injury, uh, I wanted to be long soybeans. I, I, I saw a spread between soybeans and wheat, and I wanted to be long soybeans and short wheat, right? It was just a spread I wanted. It wasn't working. It wasn't working. By mid-June of that year, I was about $30,000 in the hole from my, in my trading account. You have to understand, in Chicago, you can trade with a debit. I know it sounds crazy, but if you're a member of the Chicago Board of Trade or the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, they gave you the grace of trading with a debit. Everybody did it. They just did it. That was just old fashioned shit. That's what they did. So I walked into Bob Collins's office and I said, I was about to say mate, I didn't say mate. I said, I said to Bob, listen, I can see that my account's debit. And I organized to go to Europe to play golf with this friend of mine I knew since high school. He was number one man on the Northwestern golf team for four years. And for six months before that, we'd organized this golf trip in Scotland and England for the first two weeks of July. And I said to him, listen, I'll cancel this trip because I can see I'm in a hole here. I'm, I'm broke. And he looked at me and says, John, don't worry about it. You go on your golf trip and you come back and start trading whenever you want. I was like, wow, that's cool. Okay, I'll go on the trip. And I left long a little mere little three lot at the Mid-America. I was long 3,000 bushels of soybeans, right? In the two weeks I was in Scotland, and you have to understand, there were no cell phones, there was no telephones. I was getting, my price dissemination was coming out of an orange newspaper that came out of London that was called the Financial Times. And it was on, it was on a day and a half delay. And all of a sudden I saw soybeans limit up. Next day, soybeans limit up. I'm like, fuck, I wanna go back, I wanna go back, I wanna go back. And by the time I got back to Chicago, my little three lot had paid for my holiday. 
We're in the midst of a massive bull market and between the second week of July and the first week of September, not only was I out of debit, I had my seat paid off. <laughs> Just real quick, can you explain how the seat situation works? Like why did you need a seat? Just for a little bit of context for everyone who's unfamiliar with how that all works. I'm gonna sound like an old fuck now, sorry. Um, in those days, in those days, the only way you could really trade was on the floor. Otherwise, you're sitting in a broker's office looking at price information that's anywhere from five to ten minutes old. Okay, you know, like if you want to, if you're just a position trader and you, and you just want to have a position, that's fine. But if you want to be a scalper, a day trader, you had to be on the floor. You just had to be. Were you always a day trader from the get go? Like that's just naturally what you gravitated towards. Absolutely, scalper, day trader. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's go back to the point you made where you spoke about how it's important to lose. It sounds like you've got a few things you want to say about that, so um, let, let's hear it. Well, it's just my observation the last couple of years of my life that um, a society in general doesn't really teach people how to lose. They teach you how to win. Winning's easy. Everybody knows how to win. You know, they see LeBron James win a basketball game making the last shot. He knows how to win. He's a winner. Winning's easy, but is there anything in society that teaches you how to lose? Is there a course at university you take that says, hey, come take this course, we're gonna teach you how to lose? Engineering. <laughs> there, is one, there is one thing that will teach you how to lose, and that's organized sport. Because in organized sport, you will lose, okay? That's the only thing I can think of that teaches you how to lose. Other than that, you have to figure it out for yourself. You really do. And losing, is and how you deal with losing, is extremely important in trading. Because winning, I'm telling you, is easy. That's easy. It takes care of itself. The key to trading is learning and figuring out how to take a loss and how you deal with that up here. Do you hang on to it and let it bother you? Or do you release it and let it go? All I can say is, is that you need to learn from, the tr when you're trading, you have to learn. And you can learn from, the, from being correct and say, I did that correct. And you learn from that. And you can also learn from when you lose. And when you lose, you have to experience the loss, feel it, learn from it, and spit it out and let it go. And focus on the next trade. If you hang on to a loss too long, it will pollute you. It will not allow you to make the next trade. And you have to focus always on the next trade. The next trade is the most important trade in the world. Not the last trade, or the trade before that, or the trade before that. Just let the trades happen and focus on the now of trading. Do you have the belief that each trade is individual of itself? Like there might be times where you're actually going through a rough period. Um, do you still treat every Why trade? Why are you so negative? <laughs> I'm not, but we're rough talking period. about losing here. Is, um, yeah, no, no, that's true. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, the way I've always traded, I don't want to use the word high frequency because you guys have algorithms that are high frequency trading algorithms and I'm more of a hands-on trader. And what I'm always doing is I'm focusing on the next trade. I don't think about the trade before it and, and I'm not analyzing the risk I just took with that previous trade. It's just a fucking trade. I don't care. You know, it's just put it in the books. Let's get on to the next trade. And because I'm mainly a spread trader, so I'm buying here and I'm selling here, I'm trading 20 different things all the time on the bid and offer, blah, blah, blah. A lot of times I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just trying to make good trades. And then, and then the market closes and I go, I wonder what my position is. Let's try to look at that position calculator. I look at the position and go, 
Well, okay, I'll get that up on the chart. I'll get that up on the charts and see if that looks good. Oh yeah, it looks good on the charts. I like that position. I might keep that for a day or two. You know, like <clears throat> what motivates me to make trades is 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 when I'm looking at the markets is a lot of different things. It has to do with relative value. Uh, it, it has to do, is there a buy program in the 10 years? Is there a sell program in the 10 years? Are these spreads reaching historical levels? Are we getting near expiration now? These spreads historically have a tendency to move a certain way going into expiration. So there's a lot I'm thinking about when I'm making trades, but, but I don't dwell on what I've done. I never dwell on what I've done, ever. When you're talking about learning how to lose, I mean, I know who's who here has been trading, let's say, less than two years? Who's been trading for more than 10? Woo. Cool. Young crowd. That's cool. <laughs> so I imagine, especially for newer traders, that's a very strange concept to put forward. Yeah. Learning how to lose. How would you actually know if you've learned how to lose? You stop doing it. <laughs> you, you, you don't lose as much and you lose less frequently. And then you say to yourself, ah, maybe I'm getting this now. Okay. Um, but you're going to lose. So I, I don't dwell. I, once again, I'm repeating myself, but I, 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 I'm so focused on the next trade. This is real Zen shit, man. This is like living in the now and spitting out what's happened in the past. If you're a Zen Buddhist, if any Zen Buddhist here, you'll make a fortune trading. So what you're trying to do here is you're trying to focus on the absolute moment of the price information that you're getting off the screen. And that's what you're focused on. And everything that's happened before that, you can look at it later, but if in an active market when you're trading, you want to be focused on the now of the price action that you're looking at. And if you're dwelling on other things that have happened in the past, it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep you from, from doing that. It's as simple as that. As far as losing is concerned, I mean, you know, like, when do you really actually realize that you've lost money? Well, it's when you get your statement the next day and you look at the total equity at the bottom and you say, fuck, I lost money yesterday. But I, but I, don't, I don't do that. I've gone months and months without looking at my statement to see if I've made or lost any money. I've gone months with that. One of the things when I first started trading, like a lot of you guys are new traders, I had to keep track of how much money I was making on a daily basis. I used to go from Chicago on the Chicago Northwestern trade up to Lake Forest every day. It's about a 45 to an hour uh, train ride, depending on whether I'm taking the express train or not. And I'd sit down, I'd count every trade I made and figure out exactly how much money I made or lost on the day. I did that for a few years, right? So it's an evolutionary thing. When I first started trading, I really wanted to see how I was doing on a daily basis. Right? It was important to me. Then I realized after a period of time that it wasn't so important. Then I got to a point where I said, actually, if I can com completely divorce myself from money, I'm going to be a much better trader. I know that's hard to do, but I'm telling you now, if you can, if you can get away from the money aspect of trading and just focus on the market and making good trades, you'll have, you'll be distracted by less things. There you go. I mean, I, I just, I'm at a point now, and I have been for about 15, 20 years, where I just don't care about the money. I, I get a monthly statement now. I'll look at a monthly chart of where my equity's been, and that's it. I don't look at daily statements. I look at nothing. I'm focused on my, on my position and the trades I want to make, the trades I'm making. I feel like in your answer there, you may have, um, well, this may be a good point for me to ask you about your comment analogy. I don't know anyone who's seen the Bulls and Bears uh, documentary. I think it's in the one of the opening scenes, isn't it? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
Let's, um, let's, let's hear a little bit about the common analogy and um, how that applies to your trading. Well, it's kind of like what I just said. I mean, the tail of the comet is looking at charts. And I'm a chartist. I love charts. That's why I don't listen to fundamentals. I'll, if, if the non-farm payrolls are coming out, I don't go, what's, num what's number? What's number? What's number? I don't give a shit. I can see by the price action of the 30-year bonds in the States what, 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 you know, whether it was what it's done to the market. I'm only interested in what, it, what all this information is doing to the market. So with the comet analogy, and by the way, that's my old material. I got much better stuff than that. <laughs> it has to do with like the tail of the comet is what you can see when you look up in the sky. And just like you can look at historical charts, you know, you can look at the daily bar chart and you can see what it's done going back as far back in time. But that comet's moving. Just like the prices that you're trading are moving continuously, moving across that screen. Prices are changing, prices are changing. And looking at the historicals is okay, but really trading is about being right there in the momentary instance of price creation. Being involved with the second by second price creation. And that's the front of the comet, I suppose. Um, so do you have a new analogy for that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not right. Not off the top of my head, mate. Okay, sure. All right, well, let me ask you, I mean, are there some subjects which you might like to talk about? I mean, I think maybe we can tap into, how long have you been trading? You said you started in the 70s. <clears throat> Just over 40 years. Okay, 40 years. So, you know, let's, let's make the most of that and tap into some of the the insights which you've gained over that time through um, hard lessons learned, etc. I mean, what, what are some of the lessons? I know this is a really cliche sort of thing to say, but given someone like yourself who's been doing this for 40 years, I think it might be an interesting subject to go into. What are some of the lessons which you would like to pass on to a, a younger group of traders? Believe in yourself. Self-belief. Real big. Real, real big. Don't quit and never lose all your money. It's like a poker game. You lose all your money, you have to leave the room. Go away, come back when you have some more money. So, yeah, that's just very simplistic things to say, but it's, it's really true. Stay in the game and really believe in yourself. It's, it's, um, it's a real balancing act between having too big of an ego and not having enough of an ego, you know? And you gotta know yourself really well. You gotta know what your strengths are and you have to know what your weaknesses are. And it's a real game of inner exploration up here. And I find it interesting now we're all trading from screens. The screen's over there and I'm here. You wanna externalize the experience of trading? Real easy, the screen's over there and I'm here. But you shouldn't be doing that. You should be internalizing the experience of what you see on that screen into here, internalizing it. It's not you against the machine. The machine should be part of you, metaphorically. I suppose it's viewpoint. One of the things I would like to talk about a little bit is observational skills. In order to be a good trader, you really need to work on your observational skills. Very important. You need to notice what the market is telling you. I don't make a whole lot of decisions on trade. I don't sit there and go, um, you know, based on the charts, the 10-year bonds are going to this level. I let the market tell me what to do. I don't buy the bonds unless the market's yelling at me, buy the bloody bonds, you idiot. And then I buy them. Because I let the market tell me what to do. I, I kind of divorce myself from my opinion 
and I let the market tell me what to do. My opinion is guided by what the market is telling me. How do you find out, how do you figure out what the market's telling you? You have to watch it very closely, but not too closely. Sometimes you can defocus from it and sit there and let your eyes drift away from the screen and your subconscious brain will be picking up on what's there. And you look back at it and you go, I know what to do now. Use the power of your subconscious mind, your intuition, and your, your, the power of observation will really, really help you. Intuition, observation, really, really potent tools for being a good trader. How do you learn that stuff? Is it purely from sitting there in front of the screen and just building up your screen time? Or are there exercises you can do away from the market which yeah, you, you, help? You, you practice your power of observation every second of your life. I'm looking around here right now and I can see these wooden rafters, I can see the lights over there, I can see about how many people are in this room. My eyes are wide open all the time and I love looking around. I love walking on the beach with my eyes open, looking up at the clouds at nighttime, looking at the stars. Just use your power of observation continuously in everything you do in your life, every waking second. Notice what's around you. Use your observational skills. Then when you look at that computer screen, it's gonna be so much easier to look at it, focus on it, and make decisions. So you have to practice your observational skills, especially nowadays with social media and everyone on, I mean, I was, a, I was in the airport this morning, I mean, everybody's on their bloody iPhone, their computer screen. I might put it away and have a look around. If you focus all your attention on one thing, you're not doing it justice to your brain. Let your brain work the way it was intended, the way it was made for you. <laughs> Utilize and hone your observational skills and let your brain do what it wants to do. <laughs> You're gonna be, you, your brain wants to be flexible. Your brain wants to work for you. It can't wait to make great trades for you. All you have to do is let it do its thing. Don't stand in the way. What does this mean? Oh, you have to have a really open mind. You gotta be non-judgmental. You have to um, open yourself up to everything <laughs> and utilize the fact that your spirit inside you wants, wants to be open and, and free. I'm getting really philosophical here, but <clears throat> we all have it in us. Every single human being can be a, a good trader. I have absolutely no doubt about that. It's inside every one of us. We just got to learn how to, how, to, how to find it, dig it out, and don't let anything stand in the way. Don't let any dogmas come in between you and yourself. Get to know yourself really well. It's a great thing about trading, guys. You're going to get to know yourself really, really, really well, and you'll become a better human being for it. The life lessons I've learned from trading have manufactured me into the person I am now, and I like who I am, and I like to think I have an open mind, and I like looking at things And I like life. <laughs> I love it. The, these institute um, intuition and observational skills, which you talk about, when do you feel as though, like if a trader is there watching the market every day, how long, if they're doing this day in, day out, do you think it should take for them to sort of feel like that? As cheesy as it sounds, almost like one with the market, like they can really feel when it's screaming at them, telling them to buy the 10-year bonds or whatever. Well, you'll, you'll know. You'll know, it'll just pop into your brain, you know? 
a lot of times, not all the time, but sometimes I'll be just sitting there and I'll just kind of go into a bit of a Zen moment. I'll empty my mind out of all thought. And I'm not kind of focused at the screen, but I'm not really focused at the screen. But I know that my subconscious is looking at that screen. I'll just kind of zone out for 10 minutes, empty all thoughts out of my brain. I'm in front of the screen. And all of a sudden, I'll come out. I'll look at the screen. And I go, I know what to do. That was so easy. <laughs> Practice a little bit of meditation. Learn how to empty all thoughts out of your head. Are you, are you guys, anybody here have a sleeping disorder? No, you don't have a sleeping disorder. They're really bad. <laughs> Learn how to completely empty all the thoughts out of your head, and then you can fill it up with the ones that are important. And if you're a traitor, okay, let it flow out of you and fill it up with whatever you want looking at that screen, and your brain will do it for you. It really will. The trend is your friend. The market will, will show you its direction. It'll, it gives you little clues. I was talking about this with a bloke from Macquarie Bank today. Anybody here trade the three-year bonds against the 90-day bank bills in this country? There's one there. There's a couple over there. Good on you. Good on you. I trade that too. Um, in August 8th, 9th, and 10th of 2007, there was a major divergence between the 90-day bank bills and three-year bonds in this country to such a point that I was flabbergasted. There were always The price relationship always moved within a certain band, and now it had just gone ballistic. The bank bills were losing against the three-year bonds massively. I called up one of my friends in Sydney, and I said, what's going on? He said, well, you do know what you're trading, don't you? And I go, well, yeah, of course I know what I'm trading. He goes, well, tell me what you're trading. I said, 90-day bank bills. He goes, 90-day bank bills. I went, yeah. And, it, and what's the other thing you're trading? I said, three-year government, government bonds. Right. So the banks are in trouble. It would appear the market's telling us that the banks are in trouble. And people are fleeing bank debt and going moving it into treasuries, safe haven stuff. This occurred 13 months before the stock market crash. Completely tipped the whole thing off that was going to happen. If you were listening and watching the market, you would have seen it. And you would have said, bloody hell, something's, good. something's up here. Something's up. I'm not making this up. The market was just saying that to me. Something's going to happen here. Okay, so the market, the market will, will really help you out if you, if you watch it and listen to it. It'll show you direction. It, in, in, a, in a big trade like that, that was, that was monumental. I mean, it's one of those things that I'll always remember for the rest of my life. What year was this? August 2000, sorry, 2007. Okay. That was, I, I got the year wrong, sorry. August 2007. So it was a full 13 months before September 2008. When I shit at the fan. How did your trading change during that period? Well, that's another thing with trading. You have to change with the markets. I don't care what algorithm you've built. You've built a black box. If that thing doesn't morph with the markets, you're doomed. You have to, and I have nothing against people with algorithms and, and trading systems that, that they plug in and just the computer does all the work. There's nothing wrong with that. But most of them over long term, over a very long term stop working because the markets are always changing. They do. They, they completely change. You know, in 2011, the exchange called me up and said, are you worried about these algorithms that are coming to the market? I said, no, why should I be worried? Only three things you can do, buy, sell, or do nothing. And now it is unbelievable. Like, like you have to have an algorithm to trade. You have to. You know, there's a monumental change in the market. So you have to you have to change with the market. 
And if you are stubborn or you're close-minded, it's not gonna happen. It's very, very important to change with the markets. What did I do in that scenario? I stopped trading the spread. It was out of control. And I had no idea where it was gonna go next. So you were taking more directional trades? Well, I stuck to bill spreads. Okay. And trading the curve. Right. Okay. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. They started at the beginning, reimagining the bond screener with an intuitive design that helps you zero in on the exact kinds of bonds you're looking for. Then they made it easier to evaluate each investment opportunity with better data in the places you need it most. Finally, they made investing in bonds as straightforward as stocks or any other asset. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. I think a subject which would be really interesting, I know you kind of hinted on this a little earlier, is um, your appetite for risk. You said it was kind of natural from the beginning. You had this, this appetite for taking risk. So a lot of people that probably doesn't come quite so natural. Do you think it's something which can be learned? It's only risk. If the firm you have money with is demanding margin money from you. <laughs> then it's risk. But if I'm not asking you for any money, who cares? <laughs> Is, um, is that possibly why you blew up those couple times? <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably. I've always been very lucky. They've always allowed me to overtrade because I'm a classic overtrader. I always traded far more than I should. How do you know when you're overtrading? Because like, obviously you just do huge volume naturally. I mean, Because I only have $100,000 in the account and I'm trading 1,000 lots. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Um, and going back to an earlier point, you said, and I, I should not gloss over this because it's a pretty bold statement, you said you must have an algorithm to trade. Uh, well, you don't have to. I don't. I know, but what, what made you say that? Cause oh, because it's, because so it's, 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 um, it has to do with assuming risk or taking risk. Do you guys know the difference between assuming risk and taking risk? Anybody want to have a crack at this one? What's the difference between assuming risk and taking risk? Anybody? Okay. 
I'll explain it to you real simple. A casino assumes risk. You walk in the door of a casino, it's sitting there with its doors open. It knows the odds are in its favor. It can't wait for you to come in and bet your money. You're taking the risk and they're assuming the risk. They're happy to do that, okay? For a lot of my life as a trader, I was the one assuming the risk. I didn't care whether you bought or sold from me. I'd make a market and do, I don't care, buy it from me, good luck. Sell it to me, good luck. I was making a two-way market in everything because I had built into my head an, uh, a the idea that I was getting an edge when, if I could buy at this price or I could sell at this price. I was getting an edge. Those edges don't exist anymore, <laughs> especially in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth bill month. There's always three to 500 on the bid and offer. So, you know, in, in 1989, you know, how's the fourth bill month, John? 85 bid at 95, what do you wanna do? How hard is that to do? Now it's 88 bid at 89, 500 aside. So unfortunately, because I don't have an algorithm, if I had an algorithm that completely, that, that, that stacked me up in the, in the, in the uh, ladder where I could get Q priority, if I had an algorithm that could cancel my bid or offer in a nanosecond like everyone else has, maybe I could go back to making markets like that again. But I am not fast enough with a mouse to cancel bids and offers without getting steamrolled. And that's the problem I have. So now, I'm a risk taker. I'm not assuming risk anymore. Which I'm not completely happy about. But I'm morphing into that. And it's a challenge for me. So there you go, mate. So by being a risk taker, you're essentially saying that your edge, you have less of an edge nowadays? There is no edge. The only edge I have is, is my ability to listen to what the market's telling me, my experience, and, um, and I go from there. I mean, you know, you look at the, you look at a bill month and it'll be like 95 bid for 5,000, 200 off at 96. I'm 50 lots of the 200 at 96. I'll get these. There's 5,000 on the bid. No, there's not. There's really only 300. All those other bids in there have been put in by an algorithm. And in a flash of a second, because the eyeball only works 127th of a second, this is milliseconds. It not only is bid is gone, there's now 5,000 on the offer at 95 because everyone's piling over the back of each other with their algorithm to get on the offer. You know, so I have to start hitting bids and offers that I reckon are, are value for me and it's the trade I want. And in the old days, I could just sit there and someone eventually buy the 96s off me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, you, how many algo traders here? Hold your hand up. One, two, three, only three? You kid, come on guys. How many algo traders really here? Okay. So there's not that many members of the evil empire, is there? Okay. Well, that's kind of cool. I thought there'd be a lot more algo traders here. Kind of, what kind of algo do you have? Can you tell me about your algo? No. See how tight-lipped they are about it? Um, yeah, here, tight -lip. Talk about relative value and the, the trade. What I'm interested in is um, the entry on one of your legs uh, might be aggressive now. What about the other leg? So you're trading spies and pay. Are you willing to be passive with the algos on the chance that you're going to get set or have your cost kind of doubled because you've got to cross both space? Um, <clears throat> well, good question. Um, 
It's all about feel for me. And number one, I don't worry about commissions. And that's another thing you guys should do. Fight for every dollar with whoever you're trading through for every commission dollar. So nail them down. Your biggest cost of trading is paying commissions, mate. And just, just screw them down as far as you can in the commissions you're paying. It'll pay off in the long run. So I don't, I don't, pay, I don't care about paying extra commissions because I've pretty much screwed it down to next to nothing anyway. But, um. The market cost. Sorry, the, you mean the market cost. Ah, market cost. Um, I don't perceive it as market cost. I just perceive it as, as am I going to get it the price I wanted at? No, I'll have to pay up a half tick. That's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me to do that. Um, if I want the trade, I want the trade. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, especially if I'm trading, say, like the, you know, the, the spy against the S&P or the 10 year notes in the States against our 10 year bonds. Um, which I don't do a whole lot of. It's very dangerous. <laughs> and that's another thing, guys. If you guys are all young, go for it, man. Just fucking go for it. I'm, I'm in a stage in my life where I'll tell you what, if I did something really stupid in the market and I gave it all back, I'm going to feel like a really fucking idiot. I'm, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give it all back. I got a good lifestyle. You know, I, I don't, you know, you work really hard at something, you get good at it. You, you, you're, so one of your, one of your concerns is that you're all of a sudden just going to give it back for one stupid trade. Um, the, my risk taking, taking days of being an over trader and trading huge size are over with. I don't need, I don't want it. Any amounts of money that I make now are not going to affect my lifestyle. Making more money does not change my lifestyle. So when you're young, you want to make money to enhance your lifestyle and hopefully for some other good reasons. Why do you want to make money? Family. Family. That's good. Very noble. How do you, what, why do you want to make money? It's a very complex question. I think to make my life uh, more rich. More rich? Not only in a financial or material things. Yes. So, yeah. That's, yeah, it, 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 it's a good question. I think we should all be asking that of ourselves. Well, what, what are we, what are we, what are we chasing the money for? And it, and it is a very uh, funny game because our only measure of success is how much money you're making. You know, at least LeBron James has a trophy to hold up and he scored 52 points in the game. He, you know, he, he, um, he has, he has more of a, a acknowledged greatness. But if you're sitting at home, and by the way, who trades from home? Hold your hand up, please. Whoa, a lot of you. Cool. That's good. Any of you trade from your mother's basement? No, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, <clears throat> is it lonely trading at home? Do you guys, would you prefer to be trading with someone else? Just out of curiosity? You prefer to trade by yourself? Do you prefer to trade by yourself? Uh, I probably because I can concentrate. So I've never tried. I've never traded. I don't know any traders at all. So actually, I've one in the U.S., but I don't talk to anyone. So okay. Yeah, it's a very insular game if you don't have anyone in your room trading with you, and it, it's gonna and, it, and it's tough because if you've had a good day or a good week, how do you, you kind of want you kind of want some acknowledgement of that? And you don't really have that. You're not going to get acknowledgement of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, yeah, that's right. You can treat yourself by spending some money, which is always a, a, a good idea to do that. Um, but the one thing that I found and and about trading, and it's the greatest gift that trading ever gave me, and it has nothing to do with money. It has to do with freedom up here. I knew early in my life I wasn't the type of person who, who was going to be told what to do. I realized I was going to have to find something that I could do for myself. I wasn't very good at taking orders or working for somebody. 
And initially, it was like, okay, to, to, to do that, I need to make some money on my own. I'll become a trader, okay? Down the track, and I made mistakes. I started, you know, when I first got some money, I started buying stupid things, buying stupid things. Then I realized that owning physical possessions was just gonna be a burden to someone like myself. I'm no good, can't look after things. I don't know how to change the oil, I can't do this, I can't do that. Owning physical possessions is a complete burden, so I stopped doing that. And then a little bit further down the track, I realized that the greatest thing that trading was gonna do for me was freeing up my mind. Free me up up here. I can look at any situation in my life and treat it honestly and fairly without having to accept anybody else's dogma being shoved down my throat, and I like that. I love having freedom up here. It's a really beautiful feeling, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. And that's that's what money's done for me. It's enhanced my um, my existence on a lot of different levels, and it has nothing to do with fast cars, fast women, or any of the other nonsense. Okay, <laughs> so I just thought I'd pass that one on to you. <laughs> Hey, oh, listen, uh, can I ask him a few questions? Yeah, go for it. Righty up. So I've asked the algorithm question. Um, how many people here trade their own account? Hold their hands up, please. Just their own money or their family money. They don't trade for anybody else. Wow, cool. That's, mo that's most of you. That's good. That's good. You know, I've noticed, I've noticed with traders that some are really good at just trading their own money and they can't trade for anyone else. And there's other people the exact opposite. As a matter of fact, a lot of people, they trade for a bank, they're there for 10 years, and they keep some money trading, they go, I'm so I'm gonna go do this on my own, and they fail. 90% of the time, they fail. As soon as they start punting their own money. When you're punting your own money, it changes the psychology of trading completely. Uh, but it's good, it's good psychology when you're trading your own money. You're gonna learn faster, um, you're gonna learn, you're gonna learn more, and you're gonna be more focused on what you're doing. Really important, focused on what you're doing. So I'm a big believer in trading your own money. If you want to trade someone else's money, just be really careful, especially family money and grandma's pension. Just try to, just try to trade your own money and go from there and grow organically. You know, if you start with $10,000 in account, that don't, that, that, there's nothing wrong with that. It gets up to 15, pull a couple thousand out, build, 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 grow organically and don't try to make it happen too fast. You gotta stand the test of time. If you really wanna trade for a longer period of time, you can't go ballistic too early. Um, and what I mean is I knew a lot of traders that would trade for nine months and they'd make money every week, every week, good money, 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 money coming in. And then in three days after nine months, they give it all back. They give it all back. And I thought about this over the years because I've seen this more than once. And I said to, my, I've said to myself, well, why does this happen? There seems to be a self-kill in a lot of traders. And I can only put it down to the fact that I think one of the one of the things that happens to us as human beings is we really enjoy the challenge of trading and the climb up the hill. And that's where the thrill is. The thrill is climbing up the hill. And if all of a sudden you think you've reached the top of the hill because you've made a bit of money, a bunch of money, you don't like that. Your subconscious mind takes over and goes, I don't like this, let's climb the hill again, and you lose everything in just two or three days, all gone. Oh, and now I'm back where I wanna be. I'm back down here, and now I'm gonna have fun climbing the hill again. So be careful, be careful. Don't be one of those people.
It's not good. Not good. No, no, no. Okay? So but to be aware, it's out there. If you let it crawl into you, it can happen. You gotta really know yourself really well. Talk to yourself, have a chat. Get to know yourself really well. It's very important. Okay, well, I know we're getting on a little bit, so let's uh, dedicate a little bit of time to some Q&A. I'm sure there's a, there's a few of you who do have questions. Knock yourself out. You can ask me anything, please. If you have that flaw in your subconscious mind, how would you uh, stop it all? You know? I'm sorry, could you repeat the question? If, if you've got that flaw of climbing the hill in your subconscious mind. Ah, ah. Yeah, how, how do you stop that? You know, I, I really don't know because it's never happened to me. I never had to self-kill. I'd lose money, but I never never beat my... And that's another thing. Another thing, guys, this is real important too. Don't beat yourself up when you lose money. You're going to lose money. This is one of the keys to losing money. Uh, I had a bunch of traders a few years ago that were, and they were beating themselves up because they missed a trade or they had a, or they had a minor loss. And I'm like, don't beat yourself up. It's going to happen. Just get on with things, you know, especially missing a trade. Right, Aaron? You out there? I missed those 51s the other day in the curve. Not two hours later, the curve's at 53. I missed those 51s. And I'm just like, man, let it go. Let it go. There'll always be another opportunity. So don't beat yourself up. As far as the self-kill those, those thing, I, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I've, I've always just let my subconscious mind do whatever it wanted. But I know my subconscious mind doesn't doesn't want to kill me. Thanks. <laughs> nice. nice. Are there any other questions? Right here. Bravo. Um, you say you're more of a price taker now. And um, you were talking about how the bills and threes, they were a little bit ballistic back then. And uh, just last week, you know, the whites went a bit crazy compared to the reds, and you know, the euro dollars are up, and the whites are kind of flat on the floor, and the reds are on fire. Kind of, what are you looking at right now in the bill market? I love you. That's great. Um, well, the market's telling me that, that there's been a lot of issues with the first one or two bill month with the LIBOR rate out of the United States. A lot of you guys aren't going to know what I'm talking about here, but he will. Sorry. Um, so the LIBOR rate out of the States has been, has been create, creating great, incredible volatility in the first two bill months. So volatility that I've never seen before. It's, it's insane. Normally the June bills, which, which, you know, go, go off the board on Thursday, uh, they would normally for the month of May have a three point range. In May, they were up 20, down 20, up 10, down 10. It's insane. And it all has to do with the borrowing rates that our banks have to pay to the banks in the United States for short term cash. United States rates are going up. There's the United States wants more uh, bang they, they, for their buck. Uh, and this country, the banks in this country are having to pay more short term interest on this country. And, and it's really in this country. So it's, it's really quite interesting because the RBA cash rate, which is just sitting at one and a half percent. I don't know if the RBA really wants this, but that cash rate that they have at one and a half percent is going to become redundant quite quickly. No one's going to pay attention to it anymore. It doesn't mean shit. You know what I mean? You know what really important to banks is how much they have to pay for the short-term cash. That's the real interest rate in this country, not the RBA cash rate. RBA cash rate is is becoming meaningless very quickly, and I've never seen that before. There, there you go. That's something completely new. 
Like, and, and as far as the structure of the bill market is concerned, I'm just doing what the market tells me. I mean, you see these June bills go five under the SEP bills last night. <laughs> you know, that, that's tied to the LIBOR thing. I don't want to be along the first two bill months. I want to be short them. I don't want to be long out the back because that's the market market's telling me that going to negatives on, which is, which is, which is something you wouldn't normally do if you thought they were raising interest rates. It's the opposite. Structurally, the bill market, the threes and tens act as, I'll get specific with you guys. I'll get real specific with you. Normally, the, the structure of our bill market and our yield curve acts a certain way, whether it's in a bull market, a bear market, or an in-between market. Right now, we're in an in-between market. And what they normally do is they say, well, we know interest rates are going up, but we don't know when. So they'll beat up on the 10-year bonds. We don't know. So we'll, so we'll sell long-dated stuff because there's no sense in selling three months out, six months out, because it might not work. It might just sit here and not move. So they, they, they have a tendency to steepen things up in anticipation of rates going up, right? Then when they start actually raising rates, it flip-flops and goes the other way. The three-year bonds are a funny one. The three-year bonds in the normal bull market are the strongest thing on the board. In the bear market, they're the, the weakest thing on the board. But they always predict what's going to happen before it happens. If you watch the three-year bond contract and its price relationship with the second bill month in the 10 years, okay? I trade something. Here's a good one for you guys. You guys to trade this shit. I, I, I trade something called um, uh, price spread divergence. Right? I made the term up. What it basically, basically what it is, it's, it's a spread relationship that moves in tandem with the market going up and down. So if the market makes new high, the spread's doing a certain thing. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. The, the curve, the three years versus the 10 years. We had a really nice rally on the back of this Italian situation and the curve was coming in as the market rallied. The 10 years were stronger than the three years. They should be, they're more volatile. The spread's coming in, the spread's coming in, the spread's coming in. And what I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for the market, you know, when it backs off and then it makes new highs, that it backs off and it makes new highs. I'm waiting for the, and the spread's coming in. Every time the market makes new highs, the spread's lower, the price of the spread's lower. I'm waiting for the market to make a new high, but the spread doesn't make a new low. That is price divergence relative to the spread. And that's telling you it's time to buy the bloody curve. Because the strength isn't in the 10 years anymore. They're giving up on the 10 years. The trend has always been for that spread to make new lows as the market makes new highs. Now the market's making new highs. And this happened last week when the three years got back up to 40. Their old high was 40 and a half. 10 years old high was, um, Aaron, where are you? I think the 10 year, the 10 year high was like 41 and they could only get up to 38. So the curve before when it was making new highs was in at 50, when 50 sellers, this time the market's back up near its old highs, but the curve's 51 bid. Now, what's the beauty of that is that if you put that spread on, you're gonna make money whether the market goes up or down. And that's what I look for. I wanna put spread relationships on that are gonna work regardless of whether the market goes up or down. And these are what the situations I look for. I'm no good at telling whether the market's going up or down. I wouldn't have a clue. That's not my job. My job is to do what the market tells me. That's what I do. I don't second guess the market. I look for these price relationships to diverge relative to the overall price of the market. I'm watching them very carefully. I'm trading them every day. I'm really focused on them. I'm watching them. And, and I do all the little things that I do. And then when I see the opportunity, I'll jump in. You got that? You got it, Randy. So, about the um, little things that you do, some building good habits, for example, for example you... Well, I, 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 you know what? That's a really good question. I'm glad you asked me that. It's funny how the brain likes to categorize and organize everything, but it also wants a change. 
if you get into a routine, your brain will accept it initially, but then eventually after a period of time, it's gonna get pissed off. So what I do, if I have a regular way I drive to and from work, I'll change that route. Twice a week, I'll go a completely different way. I just change things up. Instead of just doing the same thing, I'll change it all the time. My brain likes that. So it's, it's really quite strange because, because the brain likes to, it's, it's like, you know, we build computers, it's just, a, it's just a mirror of the brain. And computers can, can d disseminate information much faster than our brains can now. And the brain loves to file and categorize things because it's easier to deal with things like that. You meet a, meet a bloke at a cocktail party. His name's Bob. He's got three kids. He's an accountant. That's what he does for a living. And you see him and you, and you go and you put that in your brain because you've now categorized Bob. Bob's categorized. It's in your brain. Your brain wants it. You, your psyche likes that. Okay. You see Bob a couple of years later and you go, how are the kids? He goes, they're gone. I got divorced. He goes, are you still an accountant? No, I'm a bum. You know, you just, and now you have to recategorize in your brain these different situations. Try not, to, it's very difficult, but try not to, to uh, categorize things too much in your brain. Keep it, keep it really open on all levels and, ch and, change, and change things up. Change the way you talk, change the way you do things. I remember in unit, this is gonna sound like I'm bragging, but believe me or not. When I was in university, I got so bored at going to lectures that I learned uh, from Da Vinci used to write things in mirror script. And the only way you could read his notes, he did this to disguise it, but it really didn't work, is once you learn how to read it, you can see it anyway. The only way you could read his notes was by holding it up to a mirror and looking at the mirror and reading it that way. So I started taking notes in mirror script because that, it was a challenge for me. It was a challenge for my brain. And I wanted to do that. I'm challenging my brain all the time. I got a really good question. When someone asks you, what do you do? What do you say? It's really important how you answer that question. What do you do? Okay. I've had a lot of different answers to that question over the last 40 years of my life. I have to size the person up. If I say, oh, I trade 90 day bank bill spreads of the city future change. Believe me, huh? <laughs> so I, I don't always say that. I have to size the person up and then decide what I want to say. Um, 10 years ago, if you ask me, what do you do? I'd say, I'm in the business of losing. They'd look at me and go, what? Yes, it's very important that I lose. Losing is very important to me. And they go, they think I'm out of my mind and they usually walk away. <laughs> Nowadays, if you ask me, what do you do? I have to think about what I'm doing on a daily basis. And the answer to that question is, what do I do? On a daily basis, I'm trying to solve problems. I love being a problem solver. I love being challenged by mathematical equations, Euclidean geometry, Sudoku puzzles, um, everything. I love expanding my brain. I want to learn and learn and learn. And by the way, I'm still learning how to trade. If you think I got all the answers, I don't. Ask me in five years, I'll have more answers for you because I'm still learning how to trade. It's, it's hard. It's not easy, but it's fun. That's why I keep doing it because it's a fun challenge. It's a very much a challenge for me up here, but I enjoy the challenge. Chat with Traders is also brought to you by the Chat with Traders community, a private membership-based community where traders can connect and enrich their trading journeys. One of the important benefits that the community offers is the Traders Accountability Program, or TAP for short. 
get accountability that is rooted in community for the thoughts, behaviors, and habits that you want to change or improve to help you move forward in your trading journey. Visit chatwithtraders.com to learn more. And I, you know, and I live on a farm now with, you know, 89 steers and 90 acres to look after. And I'm doing shit that I never before did in my life. I have to go out in the barn and there's a hinge broken up there. I got to figure out how to fix that hinge. Then the cows are pissed off over here and I got to solve. I'm solving problems. I'm solving problems continuously. Then I turn the computer screen on. There's another problem. I got to figure out what the market's going to do next. Another problem. But I revel in trying to solve problems. I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. Does it answer your question, Connor? Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right, are there any other questions? Managing risk is unreal. I'm just wondering, someone like you, do you need a risk hit to get your adrenaline going? Do you need to take a, a big punt now and now to have a, have a go and feel like the blood's boiling again? <laughs> No, no, I, I don't. I, I don't. You know, I, I go I go skiing on really steep mountains. That's a pretty good adrenaline rush. Um, I got a 16 year old daughter. She's an adrenaline rush. I've got I've got, you know, I got seven children. I mean, I've got I got I got a lot of things happening. I do. I need an adrenaline rush from trading like I used to get. Actually, I had a little bit of an adrenaline rush in here. I was kind of totally nervous when this first started up. It was a, was his non-farm payrolls out in about 10 seconds? It's, it's how I get just before non-farm payrolls. I'm like, ooh, like this. So I get fired up, but uh, do I purposely fire myself up by putting on big trades? No, no, I don't, I don't do that. I don't do that, no. Well, maybe I should. <laughs> Hi, um, I'm a soccer player that studied finance, and um, not naturally I gravitated towards uh, analyzing sports data. Uh, I guess one of my favorite uh, podcasts was the one you had with Brandon Putz, uh, who uh, is, is a sports trader, has like the first uh, sports edge fund. Um, I have a bit of a non-conventional view, which is uh, sports trading to me is essentially uh, trading as well. And um, I'm often met with a question that that is gambling, which often baffles me, you know, because uh, sometimes you need to really explain that. You just have to look at it this way. It's not really what you trade, it's why you trade it. My question to you is where do you draw the line between gambling and trading? And does it matter what you trade or why you trade? Well, to me, gambling is going to a casino or betting on the horses or <laughs> getting involved in a dice game, you know, in, the, in an alleyway. That, that's, that's gambling. Uh, trading, because I like to think that I'm good at it, there's not the same perceived risk for me. Uh, to me, trading is something that I think I'm going to win at a lot easier than walking to a casino and playing blackjack. I'm not a casino. I'm staying at the casino, but I, I won't go to any of the, any of the rooms. It doesn't, doesn't hold any appeal to me. Um, and that's another thing. If you, once you start trading and, and you really fall in love with trading, all other forms of gambling are going to pale by comparison. You're not going to be interested in that shit. It always amazed me. I knew some traders in Sydney. I, I, I still know them. And they, it didn't matter whether they were trading uh, futures, hundreds of thousands of dollars back and forth each day. They go to the track and do the same thing. They have $100,000 out of Randwick on the weekend. They go to a casino and they, and they, and they, they ooh, the high roll and they give them a bunch of chips and they, and, and they didn't, they didn't make a distinction between trading futures or shares or something that they're kind of getting paid to do because a lot of these guys work at banks. They, they didn't make a distinction between that 
and all other forms of gambling. It's semantics and it's psychological. Is it, is, listen, uh, futures trading is glorified gambling. It is. It's glorified gambling. Um, but I guess it's the way you think about it in your head. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I had $250 in the Sacramento Kings to, um, to win the NBA. Hopefully they beat LeBron, but he's the king. Sorry, I'm watching basketball right now. The NBA. It's crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Oh, I do have some little, little stuff. Just bear with me right here. I was watching the golf over the weekend and they were at the Memorial Tournament in Ohio and Jack Nicholas was there giving a little speech. And I wrote down what he said and he was, because I think golf is very similar to trading. So one sport that has a, draws a lot of parallels to trading. And he said the following. He was talking about Hale Irwin, who was another golfer of his era, who was just receiving a big prize. And he referred, he said, Hale Irwin is a great manager of himself and the course. The analogy here is that a golf course is like the market. When you tee off on the first tee, what are you up against? Well, you're up against how are you gonna swing the club? What, did, what, what are you thinking in your head? How am I gonna play today? It's very internal. The course, how's the wind blowing? How fast are the greens? How thick is the rough? That's the marketplace. You can't, you, that's what you have to deal with. When a professional golfer tees off, he has to deal not only with himself, but the golf course. Every time you turn that machine on, you have to deal with yourself and you have to deal with the market. Very close parallels. Anyway, he said, Hale Irwin's a great manager of himself and the course. And then he just said this to anybody who wanted to hear it. He said, know who you are, know your game, play within yourself. I wrote it down because I said, fuck, this is just, this, this is trading. This is trading. You know what I mean? And he said, believe in yourself. And I've already said that to you guys. Believe in yourself. And he, another thing he said that I thought was very fascinating, you know, he's talking on the TV. He said, and he's the greatest golfer ever. You know, he's won, he's dominated the sport during his era. And he said, I never thought I was the best. I never thought I was the best. He said, if I ever started thinking that way, I was absolutely destined to screw up, take a triple bogey, lose the tournament, not make the cut. So I never thought about being the best. To me, it was always the challenge to try to be the best. I thought that was interesting. I thought I'd pass that on to you guys. There you go. Is there anything else in that notebook which we should um, dig into? We've probably got about 10 minutes left. You were going to ask me how to become a large trader, and I'm telling you right now, it wasn't because I, 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 it was, the markets have grown. I had the exchange send me the open interest for the first six bill months. In 1998, it was 356000 on the 1st of June of 1998, first six bill months open interest. Ten years later, June 2nd, 2008, 973000 it's almost tripled. I was going to get the numbers for last week, I didn't get them, but I guarantee you, it's gone up again. <clears throat> My volume grew organically because the market volume increased. I didn't force it upon myself to trade larger. As the market volume grew, my volume grew, okay? I didn't just decide one day, I'm gonna double my volume. My volume went up because the marketplace allowed my volume to go up. It wasn't predetermined, it just happened that way because I'm riding on the coattails industry that has grown a shitload in the last 40 years.
there you go. Would you say it was a, a factor of that combined with your, your risk appetite? Like I'm always interested by these really big traders who can, can throw it around a little bit. I feel as though a large, or maybe not a large, but a great um, factor of their success is their appetite so to I'm, take I'm, risk. I'm completely unfocused on risk. Risk to me doesn't exist. I don't put a trade on and think, well, what are the margins in this going to be? What's my risk? Where am I going to get? I've never used a stop in my life. I've traded millions and millions of contracts over the last 40 years. I've never, ever used a stop. There you go. Pretty wild shit, eh? <laughs> but you're managing your risk in other ways, aren't you? Like you adjust your spread or? Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, yeah. And, you know, and you lose. And you win. You become, listen, you become immune, you become immune to winning and losing. Winning and losing don't matter anymore. Risk doesn't matter anymore. I'm telling you, I'm repeating myself here. But you're just focused on the next trade all the time. And the chips will fall how the chips fall. I told you, I, one time I spent nine months, I never looked at a statement. I didn't care about the money, who cares? The money, the money's gonna do whatever the money wants to do. I can't change that. I just wanna make good trades. I just wanna focus on the now of trading. I know that's hard to do when you're starting up. I'm completely aware of that. But what I'm talking about is stuff that you have to evolve into over a period of time. You just can't say, I'm, I'm trading now and I'm going to do what, what Rambo says. You can't, you can't do that. It's something you have to evolve into, believe me. And, and, it's, and it's something that is hard to do if you're not inclined to be that way. I was just inclined to be that way. Do you have good options? No. no. So you spread it? I'm spreading within the... Uh, 98% of the time I'm spreading within the uh, interest rate structure of sale, the yield curve. Um, let's just do one more question over that way. Yeah. Okay, three, um, anything on your reading list, like recommended books that you like to read today? And the teachings of Buddha. Right? <laughs> um, why do you leave Chicago and come to Sydney? I'm sorry, man? Why do you leave Chicago and come to <laughs> I love that question. You know how many times I've been asked that question? <laughs> Lifestyle, to put it in a nutshell, lifestyle. You know, like if I wanted to be, if I wanted to be a, a really, really, really rich, I had to stay in either Chicago, New York, or London. And I discovered Australia, and I fell in love with this people, the open spaces, and everything. I'll give you, I'll give you a, a funny little example. There's, there's many girls here, there's a few girls here. Hi, guys. Hi. <laughs> in America, when I was trading in America, the Chicago Board of Trade and the, the girls in Chicago knew if you were a trader at the Chicago Board of Trade. Believe me, they knew. But nonetheless, about the second or third question a girl in Chicago would ask you when you're out and you're 25 years old, roaming around the city, is, so what do you do? What do you do? Now, that's a really polite way of saying, how much money do you make? Because they want to target someone who isn't a complete loser. In those days, I was a bartender. So I would say, I'm a bartender. And just see the reaction on the face, how long they'd stay and want to talk with me if I said bartender. But I knew if I said, I'm a trader at the Chicago Board of Trade, the next question is, oh, do you own your own seat? They were smart. They knew. In Chicago, the trading mentality is so huge. Everybody knows about the markets. The Merck, the Board of Trade, everybody. And there's not a single person who doesn't know about these institutions. When I came to Australia... At the same age, I'd go into a pub somewhere and I'd meet a beautiful Australian young lady and she would look at me and she'd ask me almost the exact same question, but with completely different meaning. She said, so you're from Chicago? Yes. So what are you doing? What are you doing? 
Do you want to go to the beach with me tomorrow? We're having a barbecue tomorrow afternoon. What are you doing while you're here? Let's have some fun together. Do you want to come back to my place? <laughs> what, what, are you, what are you doing? Not what do you do? So I've, I just found it very refreshing that the Australians in general, and in particular the women, were not focused on the money element of things. And that's, you know, that's one of the, the problems I think they have in the States, to be honest with you, is I think a lot of people over there are way too focused on money. But I came here for lifestyle, mate. I fell in love with, with the, the beaches and, and the, the, the girls and the, and the, and the beer. It was far superior beer. Now with craft beer, these states have made a huge comeback. But in those days, beer in America sucked. <laughs> you know, Budweiser, Bud Light, you gotta be kidding me. Come here and have a rushes at this Spain Hotel in Manly. That's a real beer. <laughs> Can you talk a bit about the doco, the bulls and bears? Oh, well, well, oh, we better wrap this up. Yeah, it's available on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, well, you need to give me a specific question involving that. that was, why, why did they do it on you? Well, they didn't do it on me. Yeah, they, did it, they did it on four or five different traders, and the whole doco was supposed to be on the closing of the Sydney Futures Exchange from floor trading to screen trading. And they followed me around with the cameras for a while. And we became really good friends. I became really good friends with the cameraman, the producer, the director of that series. Uh, it wasn't a series, a documentary. And I said to them when they were doing this, I said, hey guys, listen, I don't want you misrepresenting me and I want full abilities when you make this thing. Let me have a look at it and I can ax anything out of this that I want. They said, no worries, John, we'll do that. So they had the final product. I looked at it, I looked at it, I said, you know what? I use the F word an awful lot in this. <laughs> and I normally don't use the F word in my real life that much. You heard me use it tonight a couple of times, but I, you know, it, it made me sound like, but they were doing that to, to, to drama, to make it more watchable. Because people, you know, they want to watch something that has a bit of excitement to it. So they gave me full editing rights and I looked at it and I said, ah, all right. Yeah. So. If there's anything in there that makes me look bad, I, I can only blame myself, but I'm not too fussed what people think about me, in case you didn't know. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's leave it there. John is gonna head over to the bar with us afterwards, so you'll be able to catch him there and um, have a chat over a beer or whatever you drink. Yeah, I gotta say, John, absolute honor. Pleasure, mate, thank you. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders. But rest assured, there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes. And we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders.